I think my first paid collab was with my first agency because I just didn't really know how to go about it and what to charge. But then from there doing work with them, I signed up to a couple of platforms. Like there's a platform called The Right Fit, which is really good. And I get quite a lot of work through there, which is often paid work. And then there's one called Vamp, which I get quite a bit of paid work through as well. So it was like signing up to those platforms and going through that process. Hello and welcome to Smart Online Marketing, where I chat to switched on entrepreneurs and experts to chat about smart strategies to build your business in a profitable and sustainable way. My name is Katie Griffin and I am in the digital marketing game. I specialize in Google ads and I've worked one-on-one with clients such as Showpost, Woolmaker Law and Snuggle Honey Kids. And I also have my own course teaching small businesses how to grow profitably using Google ads. If we haven't met before, I'm a kombucha-loving Real Housewives apologist alongside my love of all things pop culture. And yes, that does include the Kardashians. I'm a mum of two, a self-confessed hippie at heart with a love of all things business. On today's show, I have Karis Appel, who is an influencer and also an e-commerce business owner. And I first connected with Karis last year when she was a student of mine in my Google Ads training course. She was going through that program to learn how to advertise on Google Ads for Silk Wolf. And she was the perfect person to invite on the podcast to talk all things influencer marketing from the influencer perspective. So I think often when we're talking about influencer marketing, we only really chat about what's good for a brand and how to make it work from a brand's perspective. But this is Karis's full-time business and she also has to be mindful about how to choose who she's collaborating with and do collaborations. But she has a really unique perspective because she utilizes influencer marketing for her own small business. So not only can she understand what makes a good collaboration from an influencer perspective, but she then also can see from a brand or business's perspective what they need to get out of that collaboration. And we talk about a lot of really great things in this chat from if you're a brand, what makes a really good pitch to an influencer and how to work with influencers in a way that is authentic and not like a really sleazy, spammy ad. And we also talk about what are some really big misconceptions about influencers when she decided to make the full-time jump from using her social media just as a personal thing to then being a business and a full-time job. And then also what sort of things go into the background of creating that content and what makes a successful collaboration for both the brand and the influencer. So I think you're going to love this one and I'm so excited for you to listen. Let's dive in. Welcome, Karis. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. I've given a bit of an introduction in the intro, but can you tell everyone who is Karis and what you do? Yes, I can. So I am Karis. I am originally from England, but I've lived in Sydney, Australia for 10 years. I've worked in retail and fashion for most of those years, I'd say for about nine years. And then I started doing a bit of influencing about three years ago, but made it my full-time job two years ago. Okay. So you say you made it your full-time job. I've got so many questions that are already popping into my head about that. Okay. So first of all, I'm sure you can't just wake up one day and say, I want to become an influencer. Like there's things that go into that. You've got to have a following. And so 
Was it always a goal to pursue that or did you just naturally and organically grow a social media following with no kind of forethought on what you wanted to do with it? I think the first maybe 5,000 followers, I was just posting stuff that I like and posting outfits. I used to like styling outfits and doing that sort of stuff. But then I think after that, I was like, oh, you know, like I'll try a bit harder to grow. And then I think when I got to like 20,000, I was like, oh, I should probably find an agent. And I've been with a couple of agencies. I'm with a new one now and they're amazing. And so I started making it more of like less doing free jobs and more like actually getting paid work and actually like doing it as a job. And so when you're growing that following for people that, because I'm sure some of the same philosophies can apply to both influencer marketing or influencer growth as to just if you're growing your own business account, is that through hashtags? Is that through commenting? Like what's the way to organically grow that following? I'd say it was a lot easier back when I started, back when a lot of brands would reshare you and there weren't as many people wanting to be influencers. I feel like now a lot of people want to be influencers. So there's like everyone's getting reshared by brands and there's a lot more people on there competing. But um, I find that if I spend 10 minutes every day just going through like accounts that are similar to me and commenting and just engaging with people, that's how you grow. It's a slow process now. It is a lot slower than what it was. But yeah, just engaging with people and commenting and like going through their followers and maybe engaging with a couple of them that engage with them a lot and that sort of thing. So I think it, would you say it's the same sort of philosophy as network marketing, but you're just doing it on social media? Is that right? Like, is that the right mind? Because I think that's why I struggle so much with social media. Like it's one of my weak points. And I think it's because I'm not good at that networking style in person as well. So I think that's why I struggle with with it because I'm just like, oh, and the slow burn idea of it just frustrates me. I'm like, I just want results now. And if I expect I comment on one person's photo that I should have like a thousand new followers. (laughs) Obviously, that's not how it's going to work, though. So that's how you grew your following. And then what was the process of getting involved in starting to work in some influencer partnerships? I think originally what I did was I composed like an email, sort of I would then target it to the specific brand. So I'd be like, I really like your brand because blah, blah, blah. But I'd send out sort of a generic email to lots of brands. Like I would just go through all the brands that I really liked, but also look to see if brands were working with influencers, because if they're not working with influencers, they're probably not going to work with a random person they've never heard of. So I'd go through, see if they were working with influencers and then just mass email. And to be honest, probably out of every 50, I'd get maybe two responses, but it was still two responses, two brands to work with. And then from there, you go on and you see if you can work with them again. And it's just that sort of. And then the more you work with brands, the more other brands start to notice you. And it's sort of, it's like a sort of a domino effect like that. And this was all you doing it yourself before starting to engage with like a third party agent or management to do that for you? Yeah, it was all me. And so how do you then negotiate those deals? Was it mainly like gifted influencer partnerships or is there money exchanging hands at that point? back then it was mainly gifted I think my first paid collab was with my first agency because I just didn't really know how to go about it and what to charge but then from there doing work with them I signed up to a couple of platforms like there's a platform called the right fit which is really good and I get quite a lot of work through there which is often paid work and then there's one called vamp which I get quite a bit of paid work through as well so it was like signing up to those platforms and going through that process. 
I guess at the start, it's kind of like anything, you'll take whatever you can get in terms of a collaboration. But when you do start to get more offers on the table or you've got a bigger following, what do you look for now when it comes to working with a brand partner or having someone approach you for a collaboration? Are there certain non-negotiables that you have or how do you decide who you want to partner with? At the moment, it is my full-time job. So when brands do reach out to me, I'm a, I'm a bit like, well, do you have budget? Because I can't obviously pay my bills with a jumper. Like It's just one of those things. It just doesn't work like that. But I think, I mean, there are a couple of brands I don't work with. I don't work with fake tan brands just because I don't fake tan. I did it once when I was 18 and I've never done it again. So I just don't see the point. Um, so I'm very strict about that. I'm always like, no, I won't work with them. And also teeth whitening brands as well and anything to do with dentistry. I just, I'm just like, you know what? That's my teeth. I just would rather not do that. But you've got but, perfect teeth. <laughs> uh, thank you. That's a lot of years of braces. <laughs> <laughs> so you should at least get some... mess that up. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of, um, like a lot of places reach out to do Invisalign and stuff like that. So I'm just like. Oh, really? Yeah. I find with brands as well, I'm quite picky with. I feel some brands, they just mass message and they don't go and look at an influencer's page. Like they'll be like, oh, we think you'd love our style. And I'm like, you don't even follow me. So how do you know? Like you've probably just come across me and been like, oh, she works with brands and emailed. So I think for me, I think I prefer a brand to follow me for a month, see what my style is, see what I like, see how I post and then contact me and be like, oh, we've been following you for about a month. We've seen that you like this, this and this, this is how you style. We think that these pieces would work really well for you. And then sort of go from there. Cause I think it's a lot more real than just like random brands messaging me out of the blue and being like, Oh, we love your profile. And I'm just like, what you're selling doesn't fit with me at all. And do you, at all those deals or all those people approaching you, are they still done directly through you as well? Or do they always have to go like, will someone DM you or they will approach your management? I'm not sure how that works. Some people do DM me. I would rather they emailed me. My email is in my bio. So I'd just rather they took the time to just email me. I just like having that email thread. But to be honest, most brands that email me, I'll then send them to my agent. There's only a couple. If I've worked with a brand before and I've worked with them since before I was with my agent, then I probably would just do it through them. But most of the time, if it's a bigger client, I'll just send it through my agent because she knows what I should be charging and what people are charging in the industry. Whereas sometimes I have no idea. So I'll just send it through her. (laughs) Well, that was a question that I had because obviously there'll be from a brand's perspective, they've got things they've got to look for in an influencer as well to make sure the partnership works well. Say once that deal is done and then you do the content that's been agreed on, how then do you get feedback on how that has gone? Like, do you get metrics about this is the reach we saw or this is the engagement. Like, do you feed that back to them from your side of things? And then do they also give you some sort of indication about what impact that might have had on like sales or inquiries or things like that? They don't really tend to say what impact it's had on them. But if you work with most brands, if it's a paid collaboration, you have to send your insights through to them. Usually it can be anything from 48 hours after posting to two weeks after posting. They'll kind of say in their contract when they want it. And then you send the insights over to them. So sort of story insights, who's like swiped up and then also engagements on the post as well. So they can add that into their report. But mainly some brands give you um, collaboration links, which are specific to you. 
And then if that works, then they'll tell you because they'll keep working with you, if that makes sense. Whereas I guess if it doesn't work, then they just they'll move on to someone else. So I guess that's how you see, but they don't openly tell you. I would think that from a perspective of being both on the influencer and a brand side, I think that would be valuable. I don't know whether you would agree, but wouldn't it be valuable for brands to share that back? So then you have some sort of idea of whether that content worked well or whether you should have had like a different caption or maybe different stories next time, or that would help to also make your offering better too, to have that feedback. I don't know, for me, I like the feedback loop because it also kind of gives you a bit of a boost, like, oh, that really impacted and we had a great result from that. Would you prefer that brands proactively did do that? Is that something that they could do more of? Yeah, no, I think I definitely like that. For me, when I've worked with influencers through Silk Wolf as well, I will go and tell them that they made a sale or I'll be like, oh, you posted and I got a hundred email subscribers. That's great. No one's ever done that. So I will actually go and tell them because I would love to hear that too. But I feel like, especially if you're working with a bigger brand, they're working with so many influencers that they're probably just not going to tell you if it looks good. But I would prefer them to tell me, definitely, and Mm. give a bit of feedback on that as well. Yeah, I think so. Because I'm the same, like I would want to know, one of the guests that I've had on my podcast, she got a couple of inquiries from people that were heard her on the podcast and then then went through and listened and inquired with her. And that was like, oh, great. Like it doesn't necessarily change the way I'm going to do things, but it's important for me to know that. So then I've had an impact. They've taken their time to do something for me to be yeah. on the podcast. Then I can also get some feedback on how it's gone for them. If you're starting to, like if you're a smaller business and you are starting to think about influencer marketing or partnering with influencers as a strategy, what are some tips that you can give for brands that are just dipping their toe and getting started? Work out if you have budget and then work out how much budget you have and work out what you want. Because I find some brands will come to you and they'll be like, oh, we want this. And you're like, okay, this is how much I charge. And they're like, oh, that's a bit steep. And if it's a small Australian brand, then I will lower it slightly. If I'm going straight through me, I will sometimes like take off maybe 50 to a hundred dollars and be like, you are a small brand. I like working with small brands. So I'm happy to help out. But then some of them will then turn around and be like, oh, and we also want this, this and this. And I'm like, "Mm, I've already like lowered it for what you already asked for. So if you were asking for that, I'd charge a lot more. So I think, yeah, working out what they want, working out if they have budget. Sometimes if they don't have budget, like there are brands that I'll work with unpaid if I know that I'm getting something good in return from it. It's like I work with Revolve. I've been working with them for two years now and it's like a monthly credit. So every month you get credit and you go on the site and you pick something out and then you do a post. And um, I've been working with Glass On since last year and that's the same. Every month you get credit and you pick something out and it's sort of, it's a win-win for both. So I think, yes, sometimes influencers do do unpaid posts, but you just have to work out what you want and what you're willing to spend to get that, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And do you get a lot of input on like the way that you work? Do you get or give guidelines on this is the sort of stuff content I'll post or do you, are you open to like, will the brand come to you and say, we want X, Y, and Z and you have to deliver that or if you agree to it, you deliver it? Or would you say, this is the kind of content I will provide Is that what you're looking for? Yes and no. There are some types of content that I won't do. Like I won't do ones where someone's just like holding a product. Um, 
just and not doing anything with it because I just to me it looks too much like an ad and to me it doesn't sell so if a brand's like we want you to hold the product I'll just say I'm sorry I don't do that I'm happy to do like a flat lay or like something or I'll like come up with different ideas and show them examples of what I could do and if they're not happy with it then that's fine like it's just it's not something I'm gonna change because it won't work in my feed and my followers will just be like oh that's an ad we we're not gonna go and look at it But I guess sometimes with my content, if a brand's like, oh, we really like this approach, then I'll try and work. If it fits in my feed, then I'll do it because it's nice to try something different. But yeah, it has to like fit with my feed and kind of fit with what I currently post. I was going to ask that as well, because you also have integrity to maintain with your followers. So you can't be seen to just be ad, 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 as then you would lose engagement and that would have a negative impact on the business side of your profile as well. So how do you manage the two? How do you manage both having a feed that's based on paid and non-paid posts? How do you manage that ratio? Because you need to be really careful with it, I would imagine. Oh yeah, you definitely need to be careful. If you do, during Christmas, a lot of influencers, they actually say on their feeds, I'm sorry, I'm posting so much sponsored content. This is my busiest time. Because during Christmas and when it's a busy time, it is ad, 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 ad. I've actually started recently creating filler content. So sort of like flat lays or more like product shots, which aren't ads to sort of like break up the sort of ad feed. And also that's why I do do unpaid collabs with clothing labels, because then it's not so much an ad because you're not getting paid for it. So I can kind of fill that content in and I'll tag if I'm not getting paid, I'll tag multiple brands in the post. So it doesn't look like an ad, if that makes sense. So that kind of breaks up the ads as well. I don't really like putting two ads next to each other. I have done it a couple of times, but I would rather just space it out a little bit. And especially with stories as well. I don't like having a lot of ad stories because people get bored of watching them. I like it to be a bit of my day and then some ads that like flow into it and then back to my day again. Yeah, that's a really good point. Because I think that when you're on the consumer side of things, you want to be following people that aren't just constant walking billboards that are also a real person. And I think Mm. you do that really well with your stories. But do you receive any pushback from followers? Do you get any of that negative feedback? Because as a business owner, you're always going to get negative feedback. Mm. I get negative emails and people will get negative things. And it's a blow to the confidence, definitely. Like, you get things that are like, oh, no, that wasn't my intention or I'm trying to help or something like that. But first of all, do you get those negative comments and then how do you deal with them? To be honest, I've been pretty lucky. I haven't had many negative comments. I have like some random weird ones come through. Like this one girl was like, oh, you complain all the time. And I was like, but I can't always be happy. Like if I'm having a bad day, then I would rather show that to my followers instead of being like, oh, I'm so happy all the time. Everything's perfect because life isn't perfect. And so I would rather show that. And she was like, stop complaining. It's so boring. And I was like, well, then if you don't like me, unfollow me. But she's still following me now. She still watches everything. And I'm just like, well, <laughs> I guess with things like that, it's That's hard. so funny. <laughs> yeah, it's just like one of those things. I'm like, I'm sorry. I don't know. I can't like be positive all the time. And I think it wasn't even complaining. It was just like, I said in a story, oh, I was doing something on my Shopify website and I didn't like save something and the whole thing deleted. And it was like this massive, I was like redoing my site and everything deleted. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so annoyed. And she was like, stop complaining. I was like, oh, okay then. I'm sorry. (laughs) 
I don't know what to say. Um, oh and my I had, gosh, like, it's like I'm allowed yeah, to complain. Exactly. I was like, I'd rather people complain if people are too positive and aren't posting about real things anyway. So I was very confused by that. But I've had like a couple of like really random ones, but I think they're more like spam hack accounts. I don't think they're actually people. I guess most of the time I look at the accounts and I'm like, if they don't have any followers or they've got like one post or they're like following maybe five people, then I'm like, they're probably a spam account. So just get over it. Move on with the day. <laughs> yeah. The don't worry the about day, it. It's just like, you're going to get it in this profession. I think in any profession that's online and you're selling something online, there's always going to be someone that doesn't like what you're doing. A hundred percent. Yeah. And with your partnerships with brands, have you ever had one that's gone like downhill and hasn't gone well? Not that you don't name any of the ones, but have you ever had a partnership where you're like, that wasn't what I thought it would be? I've had a couple. There was one in particular last year. I won't say who it was, but there was one in particular last year <laughs> that um, just working them with them was hard. It was just really tough. They kept getting me to reshoot the content and reshoot the content. And I was like, I'm happy to do an edit. Like I'm happy to reshoot again once, but to keep reshooting. And it was just for silly, silly things. Like they wanted other people in the shots. And I was like, my friends aren't influencers. So for me, getting them to be in my shots, I like, I'm asking for them to do me a favor. And they were like, oh, it looks too staged. It doesn't look real. And I was like, but they're not, they're not influencers. It's not going to look, it's not going to look as real as you want. So that was quite hard. And it was, it was a really big client. So I didn't want to, I didn't want to be like, oh, I'm not going to do that again because it's such a big client. But also at the same time, I was like, I kind of think you're, just being a little bit, a little bit like, I don't know, a little bit too. Controlling. Yeah, controlling. That's the word. Sorry. It's like, I can't yeah. think of the word. It was just a little bit too much. Do you have to send the content before you're posting it for approval? Is that quite standard? If it's paid, yes. Most of the time, yes, you have to send the really? content. And also you have to send the caption as well. Just like, wow, I didn't realize that. A lot of brands say it just has to be a rough caption of what you're going to post. And then obviously you can like fill in details later to make it relevant. But some people are like, I want your exact caption, your exact hashtags. I want your content beforehand. And I feel like, I guess I'm the same with, I was helping one of my friends age to go with her swimwear brand. And we didn't ask for content to be sent to us beforehand. And some of the posts I was like, oh, I kind of wish that she hadn't done that or she'd done that differently. So I can see why brands do want it. But I think there's a level of like how much then once you've had it, you need to sort of remember that they've put a lot of work in and they've probably spent all day shooting it. And for some, for bigger brands, I do work with one of my friends who's a photographer. So I have to pay him as well. So I think sometimes they forget about that because yeah, they just forget about all the like details and process that goes into it. Yeah, and it, it's not just you sitting at home yeah, by yourself doing exactly, the content. with a selfie button just going for it, yeah. Yeah, and I think that you have a unique perspective as well because, as you mentioned, you do have a brand, which we'll talk about in a second, but I think that probably gives you an edge as well to be able to understand that, okay, well, they're doing this for this reason because it, you're representing their brand, and if it wasn't on brand, then it's not going to be beneficial yeah. to them and what they're trying to do. So I think that you probably having your own clothing range really would help with that. It definitely does. Yeah. Before we do transition into that, I just wanted to ask, what would you think some of the biggest misconceptions about influencers would be? I think 
A lot of people that don't do it think that we just get paid for everything. I think that's definitely a big misconception. They think that every job we're posting, we're getting paid for, which is definitely not the case, especially at the moment and when the bushfires were happening as well. That was another time when a lot of brands were like, we don't want to do brand marketing. And currently, a lot of brands don't have the budget to do marketing at the moment, which is why doing a couple more unpaid jobs than I was, just because I know they're small businesses and it's nice to help them out. And I think also as well, they think that influencers, they just have like perfect happy lives. And that's why I try and show like the real side on my stories, maybe not so much on my posts, like sometimes in my captions, I'll say, oh, today wasn't the best day or something like that. But I feel like they always think influencers are just, are just happy all the time and have great lives. And we just get sent so much free stuff and it's the best thing ever. And it's so great to have all these clothes. And it really is. It's great being sent stuff. But also at the same time, like I have maybe six boxes of clothes that I need to sell and just like boxes of makeup everywhere. <laughs> and so it's great. But then it also has the disadvantages as well. Yeah. And you did touch on right now, because we're recording this in May, at the start of May, and we are in the midst of the COVID-19 and we're hoping that (laughs) there'll be some ease of restrictions in the coming weeks, but it's still, we're in kind of the thick of it right now. How has that had an impact on your business as being an influencer? Um, It's been hard. I've had quite a few jobs postponed, quite a few jobs that were also with big clients, but just It was stuff that involved a lot of people or involved events. So obviously you can't do stuff like that. But they've only been, I've only had one cancelled. So hopefully the others have been postponed. It'll just start back up again when restrictions are lifted. Normally I'm so busy. Normally I have like events on every single day of the week, sometimes twice a day, and they've just all completely stopped. Events are so good for networking. They're so good to like meet brands and like meet the people behind the brands and meet the PR agencies. So that's kind of been tough and also a little bit I don't really know what to do with myself because I normally yeah I'm used to having so many events and I'm just like oh there's nothing here I've had um I've had one live stream event so far and I think a couple of other brands are thinking of doing it which is quite cool but yeah it's mainly jobs being postponed people not having the budget but um I reached out to a couple of brands that I've done paid work with in the past and just said look I'm happy to do unpaid stuff for you at the moment because I know once we come back from this, you'll work with me again. So I've been doing that a little bit so I can keep those relationships going, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And I guess also it affects your content generation ability as well because you're inside and you don't have Mm. those other like outdoors, (laughs) you know, you can't be doing a lot of things. So that must mean you've got to get a bit creative with the way that you're shooting things or developing that content. Oh, definitely. I think just before all the restrictions came into place, I went out with my friend that's a photographer and we went around Bondi and we just shot so much content. I think I shot like two and a half weeks worth of content just so I had stuff to tide me over. And then I was saying to my boyfriend, I was like, all the mirrors in our house are in such bad lighting. They're all attached to wardrobes. I hate this. And he like built me a little mirror (laughs) selfie corner, like on our upstairs balcony, which has really good lighting, which is so good. So but I'm never post mirror selfies. It's just not something I do. I like, I really respect the girls that do because they're so hard. Like I didn't realize how hard it was to get the poses and to make sure the clothes look good, but to make sure the camera's not in the way. And it's been good to experiment and try new content and I am enjoying it. But also at the same time, I'm like, oh gosh, it is quite hard. Yeah. I think it must be, (laughs) it must be hard to come up with new Mm. ways to shoot things with your 
brand Silkwolf, which is how we originally connected. You yes. were in my Google Ads uh, course and for Silkwolf. <laughs> so can you tell me a bit about then branching out and developing your own range from, was that as a springboard from the influencer stuff or was that something you always wanted to do? Like how did you get into that? I've always wanted to do it. It's always been something I've always loved fashion. I've always been interested in it. Before I quit my retail job, I was working for a small boutique and also helping with the buying. And that sort of, I was like, oh, I feel like I'm working on the store floor. So I know what customers want, but then I'm seeing what brands are doing. And I sort of really liked that sort of thing. So I just was like, you know what? You only live once, just go for it and just do it. And yeah, I just went for it. I was quite lucky For my first collection, my dad did help me quite a lot with like the money side of things. But then my second collection, he was like, nope, I don't believe in fashion labels. I'm not helping you. I think he, from the business side of things, he was like, well, your first collection didn't sell out. So obviously we don't do another one. And I was like, oh, it doesn't really work like that. So from my second collection, I put everything into it and sort of, that came from influencing, I guess, like all my influencing jobs that I've been doing have gone towards that. So they're very linked in that sense. Yeah. And it's a completely different skill set, I think, because on the influencing side, there's business acumen that you need and you need a certain set of skills there. But on the the e-commerce side, you've got to do a lot more technical aspects as well. Yes. <laughs> How do you find balancing the two of those? To be honest, before this COVID-19 stuff happened, influencing kind of was it wasn't my priority, but it was taking priority just because there were so many events. Like I was always out, like I always had content to shoot. But I feel like now because there's all this time and there's no events, I'm actually getting around to doing stuff for my business that I've always been too busy to do, like finishing the Google AdWords course, for example, and um, and like upskilling for the business side of things and doing all those website things that I said I'd do and that sort of thing. So I think after this, after all the restrictions get listed, I'd get removed. I definitely want to sort of create more of an equal balance because at the moment I have quite a good balance. But I think ideally I would like my label to be my main source of income. So if I want that, I need to put a bit more work into it to sort of make that happen. And do you leverage influencer marketing? I mean, you've got yourself, obviously, that you've got a following, but do you also leverage other influencers to promote your brand as well? Yes, I do. I have gone through my agency to do it with my first collection, which was quite good. I just said to her, I don't really have much budget. This is what I can offer. And then girls got back and I could kind of go through them and work out. So that's really good to have as well. And then I reach out because I follow a lot of girls and I'm friends with a lot of girls in the industry. So I'll reach out to them and I'll be like, hey, if I send you something, can you shoot this? With my new collection, I was going to gift to one influencer, but because of everything, I would have to pay them. But because of everything that's happening, I just can't afford to at the moment. And also with shipping, I don't think it would work because they're currently in Bali. And also with my new collection, I've only had, I've got maybe two size sixes, three size eights, three size 10s and two size 12s made of everything. So I don't really have the stock to gift, but I do get emails. I guess for me, it's good learning because I'll get emails from influencers being like, I'd love to work with your brand. And if an email annoys me, then I know not to send that to a brand, if that makes sense. So I guess that's why it's probably been particularly useful for you to be on that side of things yeah. too, because you can see, oh, that didn't land well, yeah, or was like, that was okay. <laughs> that can probably, yeah, yeah like, like it'll, it'll improve your ability to be a partner with a brand when you're the influencer. Yeah. 
I wanted to ask as well, because you do quite a good job of integrating your paid content in a way that's not like, hey, this is a paid partnership. Because what I find, and I think there are different restrictions in Australia versus internationally, where in the US, I think you do have to declare that it is a paid partnership where that's not necessarily the case in Australia. But what I find is that you'll have quite organic when I'm looking through people's feed, they'll have really high reach and organic interaction, lots of comments, and then they'll do a paid post and it'll be like one comment. And it's like, whereas I look at your posts and they often have still a lot of engagement on them. So like, how do you do that? How do you ensure, not ensure, but how do you make it so that your content that is paid is still not like a walking billboard and really (laughs) obvious and out of place? Like what are some of the strategies you employ to make the content good I guess for the brand so like I was saying before I don't do any shots where I'm just holding the product I think that that straight away is just screams ad um, and but not in a good way either so yeah I don't ever hold product and also I think with my captions I try and tell a story with them like sometimes I'll do a shorter one because sometimes creating captions I like set aside time every evening to do it before I post but Sometimes I have nothing in my head. It's like quite hard to think of something to say. So I think with my captions, I'll try, if it's an ad, I'll try and have like a story behind it and sort of behind what I like about the brand, but also like how my day's been or how the shooting process was or some sort of story where it's not just like, hey, I love these new boots. They're amazing. Buy them sort of thing. (laughs) If you go, I mean, people don't openly write that, but there are some times when you read someone's caption and you're just like, oh it's not really thought provoking or it doesn't make people think it's just like, here are my new shoes. And you're like, okay. (laughs) Yeah. And I think from a consumer point, who's someone who's not involved in either the brand or the influencer side of things is that what you say about those product shots, it is so glaringly obvious that Mm. it is like, if someone's holding a product, it's like, Oh, that's an ad. Whereas I think brands would have a better reach and better result if they did go for more of those messier posts where they're not exactly picture perfect but it looks like a real post and gets engagement like a real post so I think there is a really good way to be able to get results from influencer marketing but I think if you're expecting to transform or transfer what you would post on like a traditional ad or a magazine ad and you're Mm -hmm. trying to fit that into influencer marketing I think probably that's where the disconnect happens is because it's not like you're just repurposing content that you would put on a bus shelter and have that on Instagram. That's not kind of the vibe. That's just me as an outside perspective. Is that kind of what you feel as well? Yeah, no, I think that as well. And also like I love, and I know a lot of my friends, we love getting creative when we create content. Like we always get given normally if it's, especially if it's paid, we'll get given a bit of a brief, but I love to like kind of be creative and create something that not every other influencer is creating or not something that the brand always uses or sees. Like I'll always try and make sure that it fits within the brand's feed and what they post because obviously I want to get reposted too. But yeah, it's it's kind of a good outlet to be creative and create something different. And yeah, so I definitely think that I would much prefer to do that and do like a fun flat lay or something over posting, just holding the product. Yeah. And so before we finish up, I think you've given some really great insight on the influencer side of things, but what would you say are those keys to a good partnership in that with brands is making sure that you do reciprocate and you do repost is like what makes an engaging offer from the brand side of things that makes you think, yeah, I really want to do that and I want to be part of that collaboration? 
Not so much. I mean, reposting's hard because there's so many girls out there that are doing what you're doing. So with reposting, it is hard. It's not something, I mean, I'd love to be reposted, but it's not something that like it's a set in stone thing for me. I think with briefs, I like if they're like they have guidelines, but also that they're open for you to be creative and open for you to sort of, you know, come up with a bit of your own brief or sort of like take on your ideas on what you think their brief means and sort of be a bit more creative. If a brand like is allowing me to have like freedom in that, then I'm more likely to work with them over someone that's like super structured and it's like, we want you to do this, 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 and this. And it's not open to any creativity or any of like your own spin on things because then I feel like it doesn't fit within your feed unless you're someone that is like a very structured, like just does what the brief says. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think that applies to other industries as well, because when I'm working with a client myself and they say, we want it to be done and they want to maintain all that control. It's like, let me do what I do best. I want your Mm. input, but you're the expert in the influencer marketing and your own audience. So you know, it resonates. So I think that it's important that brands realize that it's a collaboration with the influencer who knows their own audience the best. If you're trying to kind of have a stranglehold over it all, that's probably where the results aren't as favorable because you're not letting the creative do what they do best. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Definitely agree with that. Well, thank you so much for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Where can everyone connect with you? Um, so they can connect with me via my Instagram, Karis Pixie. And also if you want to check out my brand, you can find that via Silk Wolf as well. And that's with an E on the end, Silk that's Wolf. That's with an E on, with e on the end of Wolf, yes. E okay, great. Yes, not Silk. Um, <laughs> So I'll put those links in the show notes and I've absolutely loved talking to you. Thank you so much, Karis. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. It's been great. (laughs) I hope you loved today's chat with Karis. I know I got a lot out of it and it opened my eyes to a lot of the things that go on behind the scenes with influencer marketing that I'm not across and that happen when we're not necessarily aware of them. So If you liked this episode, make sure you do subscribe, share, and if you could review it, it would mean the world to me as that really helps to get the podcast into other people's ears and other people to find out about it. Also, you can find me on Instagram. I have a small following at katiegriffin underscore, and you can also visit my website, sundaydigital.com.au forward slash masterclass, where I'm running a free Google Ads training, and I would love to have you there. Make sure you connect with Karis and let her know that you've heard her on this episode as well. All right, I'll chat to you soon.